Hello, everyone. Welcome to Twin Talk. Hi, Nicole. Hi. hi, hi. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? I'm good. That's good. Well, welcome everyone to podcast two. We're really excited to be back. We hope you enjoyed the first one. And for mm. this one, we thought we would share our stories because both Nicole and I um, are twins living with autoimmune disease. Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah. So just to give you guys a bit of context, I've got, um, Nicole's got Crohn's disease and she was diagnosed when we were 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And Nicole, Crohn's disease is um, an autoimmune disease. Is it the bowel, small intestine and stomach? Is that right? Can explain Crohn's disease just briefly. Crohn's disease is where your immune system thinks that there's a bug in your stomach, large intestine or small intestine when there's actually not. So, um, so it's an it overreaction to the, of the immune system. Correct. So your targeting... immune system attacks your body as it does with yours. So my large bowel, small bowel and stomach and joints were affected. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then I've got multiple sclerosis, which mm-hmm. is an autoimmune disease of the brain, spinal cord, and optic nerve. So mm-hmm. super interesting. And it we is, both, isn't it? We went through our diseases at very different ends of the spectrum of um, age. When Nicole yeah. was eleven and I was twenty-four when I was diagnosed. Although my first symptoms were probably around the age of nineteen. So why don't we dive in and talk about um, um, our, our diagnosis and and mm-hmm. what we what we experienced, maybe our symptoms, how we got through that, how we transformed um, our conditions to um, to go into re- remission, which we're, I'm so mm. grateful we are both in remission and have been for a long time. Absolutely. And maybe, yeah, just to share some tips and tools on um, other people that might be listening that are experiencing autoimmune disease, if we can Im- impart any, any wisdom there. So let's do it. Okay. So, so um, very briefly, I was diagnosed at age 11, but probably from the age of 10 onwards is when my symptoms started. So I remember being at school in grade six and needing to go to the toilet more, having more bowel spasms, which were quite painful, and coming home after school and jumping straight into mum and dad's bed and just sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of fatigue. Then mm-hmm. I started bleeding more profusely from the bowel and I wasn't diagnosed for a good six plus months. So it allowed the inflammation to spread, in my case, to every joint in my body, um, which then caused um, massive weight loss and malnutrition and basically all my muscles faded away till eventually um, I ended up in a wheelchair and not able to walk. Um, Was that also I, from the side effects of the medication you started on as so well? Not only that, but the, um, the massive doses of prednisolone plus many, many other um, tablets that I was on um, was creating a lot of issues. So um, I would have a big moon face and a huge bloated tummy, a lot of fluid retention everywhere with tiny little legs and arms. Um, but the pain in the joints was really quite full on as well as the, um, yeah. the bowel spasm. So whenever you go to the toilet, it yeah. was very painful and I'd quite often pass out. So, but I ended up being hospitalized in Easter of uh, when we were 11 and 91 um, for pain control for that. Um, and what was the first lot of medications they put you on? The prednisolone. So I ended up being on 100 milligrams a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, oh, gosh, I can't even remember the names of all the other ones, but there were, there were so many. What were they I for? Like, if you think stomach, about- uh, you know, just also when you're on one tablet to reenact that one and um, sorry, just to... Um, when you're on one tablet, it causes that side effect. So you have to have that tablet for that side effect. And you know, how many like tablets did you end up being on? Like when it was like at most, 
Um, I remember it was like 80 a day at one point. I was rattling as I walked. It was full on. Um, and that was to control the rheumatoid arthritis as well as the Crohn's. And no, the I wasn't really. There was no the... pain control. So it was really just to treat the Crohn's of what they knew at the time and how to treat Crohn's. So other than pretty slow, what, were the, what was the other medication? If you're I can't remember what they're called. They, they, um, I remember there was, um, God, man, it was a long time ago. No, I know. I'm just Yeah, it was a lot. Um, Maybe for inflammation, they were treating you for inflammation. And that was a prednisone, really. It wasn't. Um, there were, yeah, there were other ones as well. I must remember yeah. them on, on another podcast. But it was it was a mainly tablet one. There was no infusions at that time. They do have infusions now, but yeah. So I was on a lot of tablets and very malnourished and mm. and in a lot of pain, particularly with my joints. It was a huge issue. Can I so, ask you what was your lowest point? of the illness how old were you and what was the most difficult thing that happened no there's many a few come to mind with your illness like if when Crohn's was at its worst how old were you what was going on I was 11 it was Easter time and um I was at my worst of the worst I couldn't walk um I couldn't even have a sheet on me I was I couldn't even lean back with my shoulder blades on something it was just so painful so um, I was in the Royal Children's Hospital and quite delirious from the pain. You end up getting quite delirious. It was probably a good eight months in that I was in chronic pain 24-7 with a lack of sleep and no nutrition. Um, and, and did you have a lack of nutrition because your small intestine wasn't absorbing Absorbing any, any nutrients or food, correct. But were you able to eat? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was eating a lot because when you're on prednisone, yeah, you, get really hungry. you get very hungry. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah. And I, I yeah. Just... So I remember you were in hospital for much of our childhood and I, my memories of you being there were very stressful because obviously we were twins and when, before yeah. you got sick, we did everything together and we were yeah. always together and we were lived in a really fantastic, um, you know, happy life. And, you know, and then when you got sick, it was, it was just like I lost my right hand and we couldn't yeah. go to school together anymore. And yeah. I it was really hard. I remember I also the separation was really hard. Yeah, the separation was hard, and I also think the separation was hard because we were also separated when we were born because we were six weeks prem. That's right. That was our first separation. Our second separation. To to explain, like we were put in separate humini cribs. Um, People won't know. Yeah, we were six weeks prem. Yeah, and so they didn't know any better back then. They, Mm. for some reason, put us in separate humini cribs for for a um a couple of weeks or maybe it was the whole six weeks yeah so I think we already had that sense of abandonment and then um yeah so we we did everything together everything was cool and you know we were we had a lot of fun when we were kids didn't we we played tennis every day outside in the court very active we We were on our bikes horse riding horse riding every week we played every sport at school every sport to the mm. point where the whole school wanted us to do a race, remember? <laughs> yeah. So like we, the whole school's like, let's do a race. I won. Yeah. yeah we <laughs> went to MLC and then we went to PLC. Yeah. And then um, you got really sick at age 11 and yeah. we were still there. In PLC, yeah. And then by the time it, it was year eight and then at the yeah. end of year eight, we decided to. Um, I, I got back to... from London from treatment and let's so we... talk about that. So you went to London. What for? Yeah. So what basically happened? I, in the Royal Children's Hospital, there was one evening where I remember my body was really bad. And um, I remember just a voice there just saying, 
it's okay, you can stop breathing now. And and so I just sort of relaxed and um and stopped breathing basically. How and old were, how old were we then? We were eleven and um mum was you know, next to me in the plastic chair. Wasn't and it? it was, wasn't it when we were twelve? Because it was just. I think we were we thirteen. Because I remember that. No, because when I was thirteen, we were thirteen. I remember being back home. It was um, it was year seven. Okay, I thought well, yes, yeah, so year seven. Yeah. Right. yeah, go on, go on. So yeah. you, you had this voice in your head where you just were in so much pain. It's almost like you gave yourself my body to let was go. so malnourished and so just yeah I just my body had given up and I remember a voice just saying just it's okay just just relax and stop breathing and I remember um his mum's voice just saying Nicole Nicole don't leave me don't leave me she was pounding my chest to try and um wake me up and calling the nurses and um it was very understaffed and it was very difficult um time so um eventually the nurses came and they had to revive me and um and that's a whole nother story that we'll need to talk about another point of what happened with that experience. Yeah. But um, yeah, so then I came back and um, and yeah, and then dad did a lot of research in the medical library during that time because they were losing me. And um, and eventually um, a couple of years later, we did find Professor Herman Taylor at the St. George's Hospital in London where I did some experimental treatment which allowed me to get off all the drugs that I was on. So what was his protocol? His protocol was um, erythromycin um, and, and erythromycin, well, high doses of antibiotics basically and a bit of chemotherapy. Um, to target so I, um, tuberculosis, Yes, right? correct, correct. So, um, so I and did you that. Didn't, but you didn't have a tuberculosis infection, but mum did at some stage. When we were very young, very little, yes. Yeah. Yes. So that was his idea and, um, and we had nothing to lose. The best thing about it is it got me off all those drugs. Mm. Um, so that was pretty hardcore. Um, and then came back from London and was on oral medicine for another two years. What oral medicine? The erythromycin, erythromycin and... So the same protocol, you continued that. Or two you antibiotics, yeah, that yeah. I was on. And do you think that is what helps you turn the corner, that treatment? I think it certainly helped me not be as medicated. Um, I would say it wasn't a cure, but it certainly helped. In what way? Um, getting me off all those other drugs that were killing me. They were but, killing me. But you don't know whether the actual um, antibiotics actually targeted whatever may have been the We issue don't know, to be honest. We don't know. But as I, well, I still had symptoms. So when I got back, I still had symptoms. Right. Um, I wasn't bleeding as much, but I certainly still had massive bowel spasms um, and pain. So it was definitely a lot better. And I built some body mass and um, put some weight on um, until eventually I started. I was watching TV late at night and I saw Tony Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. So I called Dad and I said, Dad, I need to do the Tony Robbins tapes. This is with tapes before CDs. Yeah. And yeah. he goes, oh, all right, darling. So um, he, I, he, let, he let me some money to um, order the tapes and I and I was doing the tapes as well as um, I got mum to go to the library every day 
or every week and just get a whole bunch of books because I wanted to research Crohn's myself because no one was researching it. I called the Crohn's Institution and no one was researching Crohn's. I thought, right, I've got to research it. So I researched the liver cleansing diet. I don't know if you remember me doing that really obsessively. Um, And then I did the um, Tony Robbins tapes and started working on my mind and nutrition and exercise. Mm. So that's when things started to change. And when you and I just forward tracking, Um, So I worked very hard on my mind, which was the big piece of the pie. Mm. And when we started full-time dancing Mm. um, in 1999. So let's just explain. So we finished year 12, guys, and then we went to university for a year, year, deferred and decided to pursue our dream of singing and dancing full-time, studying musical theatre and dance at Dance Yeah. And so once we did that for um, a good couple of months going in um massive exercise every day and doing what we loved my my symptoms completely went away mm. um and mindset's yeah. everything isn't it and when you when yeah. you when you bring in joy in your life and you're walking your yeah. talk and we were loving it we were loving it i mean at first we was full on it's but amazing then, though what it can do for yeah. healing in the body and repair absolutely yeah 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 yeah. yeah. And then um, so you started to feel better and that's when we were 19. And then how do you think you went from there into remission? So then I, um, after doing, um, working on my mind, working on my nutrition and, and exercise, um, I, my body started to stabilise and then I started to get more out there into the world and work and, and do things and catch up with things, which, which really helped. Um and then um, I met my first love of my life at age 22. And I remember for a good six years, I just was well. I was well. I was taking care of myself. I was in love. Um, I was working and, and just happy. And it was the best time of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so you, yeah. And so how long has it been since you've had, we'll talk about an episode. What does a flare-up look like when you've got Crohn's disease for you? Um, stomach cramps, bowel spasms, bleeding from the bowel is definitely. Diarrhea. So yeah, some people get constipation, some people get diarrhea. That's right. Yeah. So I would get either diarrhea or normal stools, but um, bowel spasms. So basically, you're in a contracted spasm, and even if you've gone, it feels as though you haven't finished, and then they just it, it continues. Just keeps spasms, so spasms, when's spasms. the last time you went through a flare-up? How many? Oh. What year was it? It was probably a big um, proper flare-up was probably um, before Dance Factory or after? Before. Yeah. 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 So you haven't I mean, really I had, had other physical symptoms that have manifested in different ways. Um, like you still have pain in the body in your, in your joints? My joints have never time. been the same, yeah. Okay. So I've, I have, yeah, joint you issues. Still, so, so if you're stressed or you're not looking after yourself, you might oh, my body will get inflamed and it'll in go to my joints. joints. Yeah, but not necessarily your small intestinal bowel. No, anymore. my stomach has been um, yeah. really good, and it took fifteen years. It took fifteen yeah. years to train yeah. it. Um, yeah. Okay. So, what if you were to name two or three things? If anyone else is experiencing Crohn's, that really helped you that you would want to share. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of mind, body, spirit. What, mm-hmm. what, what, what were the, the, what are the three things, or what are the any things that you think um, someone living with Crohn's should should do? To, to a lot of people who I talk to, who ask for advice, who have Crohn's, who come to me, we're all very anxious people. We're born anxious. Mm-hmm. So mindset, you've got to keep yourself 
you got to work on your anxiety. So mindset, yeah, yeah. Um, nutrition and exercise are yeah. the key things yeah. and yeah. just being happy in what you're doing. Yeah. But those yeah. are the three things, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Great advice. Mm. There's lots more, but those are the basics. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good snapshot start. There's going to, obviously, yeah. we're going to have so many podcasts. Mm. There's so many things to talk about. Mm. And if anyone finds any of this interesting, that's an awesome yeah. bonus too. Yeah. So, you know, I just want, I love sharing because, you know, we've been through a lot and I think yeah. it helps anyone. Yeah. I know I've listened to podcasts before where I've just heard other people's experiences and someone can say just one thing that actually changes mm. everything for me and, and I love, that's why I love podcasts. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, cool. Well, thank you for sharing, Nicole. That's okay. So I remember you started to get some symptoms when you were 24, but it was really when you were 29. No, no, no. When we are at Dance Factory when I was 19. Yes, yes. Exactly. Do you remember? That's when there were some slight symptoms so we there. we were 19. We are working mm. at Chase's Nightclub um, as yeah. well part-time and I yeah. went behind the bar to set up and yeah. my boss, Beck, came and spe- to speak to me and I remember mm-hmm. I couldn't feel the left-hand side of my face and I was yeah. doing my mascara, you know, applying yes, it in yes. the mirror and I couldn't feel my eyelashes and sh- I started drooling but I didn't yeah. even notice on the left-hand yeah. side of my face. So then I went to my GP the next day and checked it out and he said, oh, this is concerning. It could be neurological. So I really recommend we get you in today to get an MRI and check it out. Mm-hmm. So I did that and I got the results and they found one tiny dot on yeah. my brain. Yeah, I didn't really know what it was. Yeah. So I just got on with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, five years later, um, I had another experience where um, I was 24 and I experienced um, tingling and pins and needles on the left-hand side of my face, but this time my arm and my leg, but I was also feeling weakness there as well. So at 19, I remember when we were at Dance Factory, yeah, when we were 19, you, we shared the that car. The that Paseo. Really, yeah. No, um, no, 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 not the Paseo. Paseo. It was Mr. Pulsar. It was Pulsar, Mr. Pulsar. Pulsar. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a big story there as well and how we sold it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you found it hard using the clutch with your left foot. Yeah, yeah. So I must have been experiencing weakness and pins mm. and needles then too. Yeah, yeah. And so it got worse though. So five years later mm. at age 24, I definitely felt like I was almost limping and I was away in Queensland on holiday. That's right. And I felt like I was on a boat and I was really frightened. So I was having another flare-up and um, I went and had another MRI and it showed that I had two lesions on my brain and I think one on the top of my spine near the balance area of the like the top of my spine that's right and that's when you have when you have multiple lesions everyone not just one that's when they can actually that's when they can diagnose you you with multiple sclerosis so I can do like a lumbar puncture you need multiple lesions that's right and I remember I was working um at Sun Lounge doing my business and I remember the phone call and and you called and um I called you told me I told you yeah I can't even and remember I, that. And I dropped to the floor and then the whole family, all of us met at the Botanical Gardens. Yeah, so our closest friends in our family, they just yeah. all, we all went to the um, Botanical Gardens and I was just sitting on the grass, staring out at the lake, contemplating mm. and digesting mm. that. And I remember when I got diagnosed, I just, it was all in slow motion. I wasn't yeah, expecting it. Same. And yeah. mum was there with me and um, Claire and we were all sitting there and I remember bawling 
crying immediately and I the first thing I said to my neurologist was can I have a family and I didn't even realize that was important to me until the idea of it being washed away was a a possibility and and he said you know he was a great neurologist and he said you know some people live really really normal lives it could be benign it could be early stages and we just want to keep it that way so yes there's no you know and I ran off in the other room and bored my eyes out so yeah. I was diagnosed at age 24. And from that moment on, what I remember looking back is everything I began to, I was very stressed and, you know, from the diagnosis. And I began to believe that I may not be okay. I started researching mm-hmm. um, whilst he, although he reassured me I might be okay, I started to yeah. look into the disease. And yeah. MS is a disease of the central nervous system, the brain, spinal cord, and optic nerves. And my immune system is confused, thinks it needs to attack the myelin. So think of your phone charger, the white plastic section is the um, protective sheath that covers yeah. all of our nerves yeah. and, um, and your body wants to attack it for some reason, thinks there's something foreign there and it needs to attack. Exactly. Now your, your nerves are everywhere in your brain, spinal cord and optic nerves and that rushes out through into your nervous system out to the rest of your body. Mm-hmm. So when you have these episodes of flare-ups, um, that area becomes inflamed and then when that happens, symptoms can include blindness, you can stop hearing, you can stop swallowing, you can have heat sensitivity, nerve pain, digestive issues, bladder and bowel issues are quite yeah, common, anxiety, depression and paralysis. Just stop the neuropathways from working anywhere in your Well, your, your body. brain's in control of everything. Mm-hmm. And so that's what can happen. And so understanding this being my reality, when I was young, I felt like I was a ticking time bomb. And I started to live my life as if I had to squeeze in everything I could before yeah. my body was going to supposedly fail me. Exactly. And so I wasn't looking after myself. I was emotionally so detached and my body started to mirror how emotionally paralyzed I felt and my actions started to mirror how emotionally paralyzed I felt too so I wasn't looking after myself I went out later I worked harder and inside there was just this inner conflict that brewed because I had goals in my life such as you know having a family and um, you know being successful in business just being a happy healthy human being Mm. and I felt like the idea of my possibility of me achieving all of those things might not be there. Mm. And mum even said, it's like you lost the spring in your stride. And um, so I wasn't looking after myself. And, 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 and I really, what I know now looking back is, you know, what we believe is what matters and how mm. we think and what we feel and what we believe yes. is connected to our biochemistry. Correct. And in our biochemistry, we're either firing survival pathways of adrenaline and cortisol mm-hmm. and inflammation and degeneration but if we're not firing those pathways we're firing growth and repair pathways instead and if we're stressed and we're stuck in that survival stress response and we don't believe that we're going to be okay your body perceives threat and danger in the same way that it would if it has to run from a predator Mm -hmm. including the way that we live our modern day lives of drinking Mm -hmm. coffee watching the news we're so wired and on all of the time so I what I didn't realize was like you I think Mm -hmm. I was quite stressed not as anxious as you as a child I never really had the anxiety you had but I think we went through a lot when we were younger and our parents separated when we were 14 as well and Mm -hmm. um you know we all were really happy when we were much younger I think but we went through stuff like any family does we went through stuff and also yeah um I think that um I didn't understand that then so I was super stressed and 
five years later from 24 to 29, my worst fears were realized. And I had another relapse that paralyzed the entire left-hand side of my body. So draw a line down my body. My face dropped on the left side, my shoulder, arm, hand, hip, leg, and foot just totally stopped working. My arm twisted. It looked like a stroke and it took a slow, cruel 10 days to become paralyzed. So I went to hospital and I had three days of steroids to reduce the inflammation Mm. in my brain, Mm -hmm. but I still couldn't move. So then I had another dose, um, which lasted five days, but I wasn't responding to treatment. So I was then transferred to rehabilitation at Mm Epworth Richmond, where I would live for two months. Mm -hmm. But first I sat in front of another doctor who then explained to me that I may never walk again. Mm-hmm. And that was the hardest news to take at age 29 when I was very driven and I was, you know, launching my new startup in fashion and I was, you yeah. know, I, I seem to be yeah. always a motivated, happy, driven young well, girl. What's but- funny is that when you and I both get the similar news at different times in our lives, we were just like, you know, and it's like we didn't just like believe the doctors and go, oh, okay, that's what's going to happen. We were just like. Yeah. No, I'm not going to no. let this get me down. I'm not going to be that. No. that it was just like, that's just not an option. No, it's so, just not an option. No. And, you know, of course, you know, everyone leads different. They, you know, everyone's different. But you and I definitely always had the mindset of, yeah, let's just try and work on that. So we were both very strong-minded. Very motivated. Concept to- of very motivated, um, motivated in that that just wasn't going to It didn't be kick in for me term. straight away, though. Like I was quite frightened for a while. It was of only when I was, when I was living in rehab and I was <clears> paralysed, <throat> I hit rock bottom and I didn't know what else to do. And yeah. there was something inside of me that had to shift and it was when I had mm. no choice but to succeed. Yeah. And I remember going to my first rehab session and they gave me these exercises just to make my fingers open and close mm. and I had tears running down my face because it was so hard. Mm. And it was in that moment I knew I had a choice. I could either give up yeah. or I had to change my mind and my approach about yeah. what I believed could be possible mm. to get different results. So before when I wasn't sure and I was procrastinating and I was sabotaging and I didn't believe in myself or maybe that I would be well, I, I got worse and worse and worse because <laughs> of the stress of that. Yeah. But in that moment when everything shifted, I was like, no, I need to change this. And um, easier said than done. There's always, always a pivotal. <clears throat> There's always a pivotal moment. Yes, and for me it was when we all went out for dinner Mm. and all the girls came over, do you remember, and you put me in my wheelchair and we went across the road to the pub and we had dinner Mm. and we just laughed and laughed all together and just forgot about the 24-7 nightmare and we were just present in the moment experiencing such joy because it was just such a horrible time and maybe the power of polarity of going through such despair I was able to receive joy and to be present, which is actually our most creative state, by the way, being more present mm-hmm. in the moment yeah. and just, just being together. Mm-hmm. I was receiving joy. I felt like it was absorbing in all of mm-hmm. my cells and we were just laughing. And I can't remember the last time I laughed. And so we, oh, I came back to my room. Mm-hmm. You went off to the bathroom, the ensuite, and I screamed out to you because my toe moved for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment I found hope. And as a result, I started to shift, um, focus my energy differently. I began to focus on what I wanted 
instead of what I didn't want. And maybe because I saw the evidence of, oh my God, it could happen, that then I had more courage and motivation and mm-hmm. resilience to go, all right, now I'm, I can, you know, because before it was too dark. It was like, what if it doesn't happen? What if I'm permanently disabled? Yeah. You have to find the courage and resilience within you to, to keep going when I remember when I, I knew that you. it was, um, we were in, at home still and the beautiful Nicole came over to give you a massage and then yeah. we were in the in your ensuite and, and you were like, Nicole, what if it doesn't come back? And I said, it's not an option. And then I remember when you were, um, when I was washing you in the, in the, um, in the hospital, when I would shower you and you would just, you know, let me, and then I would start to every day go, you're Do doing your legs today. Doing you're doing this today and you're just like what? and I'm like no you're doing this today and you and you just were like a bit angry but you were just like okay and then just to show scared. you I was just course, scared. I know yeah, I but I had scared. to show you that yeah there was an option you got to try and you did and you yeah. showed yourself that you that you could yeah and I think that's really important isn't it to to, yeah. to never give up on yourself and who we are in mm-hmm. those moments is where you discover what you're made of. And, exactly. And then when I did, um, so so I was first in physio, lastly became a woman on a mission mm-hmm. and I asked for every exercise possible and the, yep. they, they were motivated because I was motivated, the neurophysiotherapist, and then a kinesiologist came in and worked on me every few days as well and I mm, took a very balanced big. approach. Yeah. yeah, and I took a very balanced approach and I did Eastern and Western medicine. That's what worked really well for me. But yeah. like kinesiology is a modality that uses... Um, the um, structure of acupuncture and Chinese medicine to wake the nerve pathways up and muscles up faster, just using acupuncture points and um, amongst other things. But Mm. so doing that in conjunction with my neurophysiotherapy sessions, I walked and ran within six weeks. I know, we couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was insane. Although I could, I could. So I went, first started putting pegs into holes. Mm -hmm. Then I had to learn how to sit up again. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to crawl again. I had to learn how to smile again because my mm. face was crooked. I had to learn how to problem solve again. How cool that we both had to do that. Well, it's not that very cool at all, but it's No, but it's pretty, it's very, <laughs> sorry, it's not cool, but it is cool because as twins, we both had to learn how to use our muscles again. Like I remember going to my rehab and yeah. not even be able to sit on the floor and be able to get up. Yeah. Not even able to pick up a cup. I didn't understand how to do it. Um yeah. And, and just those basics again. Yeah. Like yeah. Got, I remember when mum was walking me and, and I did one step and then in the other foot rather than going one, one, and we were just like, oh. Like yeah, those just, moments. Um, yeah. Isn't that cool that we both have that well, same experience? We're both rebuilt and we minds, can, bodies and lives, which is why I wanted to But not many podcasts, twins, like, I think, or sisters or someone really close to you would go through the same well that's why I was so grateful that you were there with me because I was too we were really young when you were sick and I wasn't allowed to be by your side because we were so young I was at school and mum and dad didn't really understand that really I should have just been there with you that would have been so much better but you being there with me and staying with me in hospital and were there through those moments and even sometimes slept next to me. Like I just didn't feel alone. So I'm so grateful for that. And thank you so much for being there through the hardest time of my life. And I think that made an enormous difference. So the Mm -hmm. love and support from family and friends is really important, particularly in those moments when you give up on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think when we go through adversity 
um, who we become. So I think that when I was young, I didn't really believe in myself enough and anything you and I have done, whether it's our music career, which we'll talk about in another podcast, but our music career, how we never really got out there and gigged enough, um, yeah. even though we wrote so many songs and, mm. you know, we just created so much. So that lack of belief, but when I walked and ran again, it was the first time I really started to change my mind mm -hmm. about what I believed about myself and what could be possible. Because when I was diagnosed with MS, it was just making a belief already true that was already there. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, see, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to be able to do it. But I think I was already believing that before I got MS and perhaps that contributed to that. I don't know. Mm. And so MS is also about control. So that mm. your, your brain, your brain yeah. is about control. So when I'm stressed, I over control. And I yeah. forget to go with the flow. So all my work on MS and bending like bamboo, which is my business, is all about coming out of that rigidity mm -hmm. to 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 learn how to um, yeah be more adaptable and less yeah. controlling in those ways. Because you rob mm -hmm. yourself of joy in your life if you're if you're over controlling things. Because it's about the spontaneity of not yeah. knowing what's coming next. When you would... lose control of your body and you can't trust your own body, um, it's awful. It's very um, terrifying. And so you. You create these tiny little um, little OCD things and patterns and behaviours to make yourself feel in control. And yeah. everyone's very different on how they do that. But and that's we why do you've that. got OCD, which we're going to do another podcast mm -hmm. on. We're going to talk about OCD in a whole other. It allowed podcast. me to feel a sense of control of my life because I couldn't control my body or my external stuff and yeah, so it's, so I think um, both you and I have yeah rebuilt our minds, bodies, and lives, and I think mm -hmm. that it would be great to hear from um, mm -hmm. anyone out there listening that does find finds this interesting. If you want to know anything about emotions or nutrition or autoimmune disease, how to rebuild your mind, body, and life, mm -hmm. you know, send us in. Um, you know, yeah. what, what is that you want to hear? Because there's so much that we can talk about, and there is a lot. What, so. But we will we will share more. That this is probably this kind of topic we would need to do a couple of podcasts on, and we can talk about next time maybe the um, the nutrition and the supplementation and and the treatments that we did do that helped us. Yeah, we'll talk about that for sure. And yeah, and and then mindset on a whole different one. But yeah, yeah to round up, I so this is my twelfth year of clear MRIs. I know. And since that paralysis, I haven't had another relapse yet. I know. I, I, I um don't say left. yet. Well, I have no. But I know. No. I just don't say. So, it. Yeah, I put it out there. In the no, I haven't. I have and not so, had another. No, episode. thank goodness. I've had little flare-ups yeah. of existing yeah. things, such as sometimes yeah. um, my left side will go numb, but that's that's yeah. the same lesion that's there. Mm -hmm. So I'll have that that's for right. life. But they have reduced and they've shrunk, and I they still have. take a very balanced approach. I've got mate. Actually, another thing that's really important is to have a neurologist um, or a doctor that 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 really supports your approach. Mm. And for me, my approach was very balanced and I needed my neurologist to yeah. really support that. That's so important because my first doctor, um, we won't name names, like my no. first doctor who I adored um, got me through the really tough bit. When I came back from London, um, politically for reasons, um, unfortunately didn't wasn't able to treat me treatment. on the new treatment. So I found another um, beautiful gastroenterologist who did and um, you do find need the, right doctor, the doctor who understands all aspects of what approach. you want to do in your own treatment and your approach. Yeah. Yeah, and you've, got to, you've also got to take the reins and take responsibility for your own condition mm. and the advice from the specialist, but yeah. don't trust that they're going to know everything. No, so many like, people know so many different aspects. Don't think that one person is the God and the answer because yeah, that's, right. that's not the case. You find out your own information from many different people. Go with your gut instincts because you always, always know what's right for you and your body. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's a journey. It's a journey. And it it's is a part big of it. journey. And who you become through that is what will help you to, you know, transform any limiting beliefs or old mm-hmm. stories. Like I think that illnesses mm-hmm. can be an absolute awakening. And they certainly are. <laughs> what we go through in any times of adversity is like whether it's illness or change in our lives, divorce or death. You know, it's if we're building daily. It also brings you back to the basics of really what um, what what means the most. Just to be able to feed yourself, just to be able to, you know, put on your heels like you wanted to well, do. I think we're all going through that just, now, like even through the lockdown. And now it's, it's exactly us, it's helped us to get back to the basics That's of right. keeping like stripping things back. And there's mm-hmm. nothing but um, I think Nicole and I are going to have nothing but good things to say about that because we've experienced mm-hmm. that when we were younger without illnesses. So we kind of I, I took all those learnings into this lockdown because yeah. it is a bit of a time to strip back and get mm-hmm. back to basics. Um, and that can generate a lot of joy and happiness yeah. um, if you see it that way. And coming mm. out again as we're about to approach in in, in, a, in about a couple of days, three days' time. I know. In Melbourne, <laughs> we're coming out of our longest lockdown, lockdown. in the world ever. Yeah. Um, you know, it's going to be a great rebirth of mm-hmm. taking all those new learnings and, and recreating and rebuilding. I find it interesting. Also, when people are like, oh, let's go do this, let's go do this, let's go do this, it's like, hang on, just chill, we're not ready. And yeah. also just to do baby steps of getting back out there and thinking, well, some people will go, what I'm trying to say is some people go straight back into their old routine Yeah, and think yeah. that that's going to work. Yeah. Um, it might for some, but But you I want to know. capture and bottle the learnings and, yeah. just, and you're, be, you're becoming a whole new version of, yeah, yourself, of yourself. So allow that to integrate. Into the new yourself world. And yeah. go, oh, look at me going into my old ways old patterns do I want to do mm. that and now yeah. is an opportunity you are more creative and, and adaptable than ever because yeah. you're going through a whole yeah. new routine again yeah just don't go into your default that. system of well that worked I'm going to do that you want to leverage that exactly so mm. that you can bring in these new habits and patterns um, yeah. we are our most adaptable state ever so yeah, yeah really cool podcast today I'm really yeah. glad that we spoke about this and yeah I love that what we spoke about and totally helps you guys um to realize that you can you can truly um overcome anything that you're going through you truly can you truly truly can and discover what you're made of yeah absolutely all right well thank you guys if you love the podcast make sure you subscribe and share the love because we want to get this out to as many people as possible we're brand new um and send us um information um you can comment in the podcast we should set up an email, Nicole. We're going to have a YouTube, um, our own YouTube channel, and you can yeah. comment in there. Yeah. Otherwise, um, my email is amanda at amandacampbell.com.au and Nicole's is nicole at meandbrows.com and you guys can send us emails um, about what you want to hear and we would love to talk about it. Sounds good. All right, Nicole, okay. thank you so much. Have a beautiful afternoon. And you too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Ben Like Bamboo podcast. Please rate and share the episode with your community or anyone you think may need to hear this episode. If you would like any help with maximizing well-being and flexibility in your life personally, you can see me one-on-one at the private practice in Melbourne or on Zoom if you are not local. You can book in or find more info at benlikebamboo.com. If you would like help remotely, I have a resilience program you can do as an online course with six eBooks and videos on mind, body, 
food, connection that include resilience and tools that can help you to feel happier and healthier after rebuilding from change, stress or illness. If you would like help with boosting resilience and wellness in the workplace, you can book in for a free Zoom discovery chat. The Ben Like Bamboo at Work program can be delivered in person or virtually. And if you would like to inquire about Ben Like Bamboo at School, you can find information on all these programs on my website, amandacampbell.com.au. And you can contact me on email, amanda at benlikebamboo.com. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And remember that flexibility builds resilience. And no matter what you are going through, you can overcome it and discover what you are made of. See you at the next session.